Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. Oh, um, appreciate the message so far, uh, the service so far, rather. Think of Brother Bobby sharing. Clearly, the devil was not happy with what was happening. So he was stamping the work of God out as he could. But is the devil any happier today with God's people? (laughs) Is it different methods? Or maybe we're not as much of a threat to his kingdom as those men were back then. Various reasons. I also thought of the children's lesson. And I was wondering what for an object Sean is going to use for that cup. I thought, well, he'll probably put water in or something. But he took this sponge and squished it and put it in. <laughs> That's illustration. Good one. Appreciate that. So, Yeah. So this is the third message on uh, on my series on Satan. I know we want to follow the Lord Jesus, and we are walking in the sunlight, and we uh, ought to be like him. We sang those songs this morning, and that is all true. And yet, as we know, we are living... We're living in enemy territory, let's say it that way. We say the Lord is sovereign and he has everything in control. Um, he sets up governments. You know, he, he, he's such a sovereign Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we have all those things. And yet the reality comes down to it. We live in enemy territory. I, um, yeah, like a chicken. Out in the woods. <laughs> or the, the, the biblical story is sheep. <laughs> sheep and wolves. So so we're going to look at, at uh, another one of those series this morning. The title is Overcoming Satan. And we'll need at least one more message in this series to finish it. And the verse that I'm just going to quote, we're not going to turn to any verses at the moment. But the one that I had stemmed off of originally was there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, where the whole thing of forgiveness was coming through there. And um, in that context, Paul said to the Corinthian church, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So Satan has devices, and he would like to take an advantage of us, but we... He said we are not ignorant of his devices, and I usually say we are not to be ignorant of his devices. That's usually the way we think of that. Paul said we are not ignorant. Now, Paul, by that time, was in the ministry for 20 years. He very, very well knew Satan's devices. So, he said we are not ignorant. So, two messages ago, just a little bit of recap. Two matches to go. The first one, I focus on the origin and the character of Satan. That devil, our adversary, the dragon, those are all names that are given to him. Last message, I focus on Satan's 
mode of operation, his um, modus operandi, operandi, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, operandi, okay. So, his method of operation, and it was not nearly all comprehensive. I mean, you could actually look at a number of methods. I only had a few, but I'm not going to focus on that anymore at this point. And today, we want to look more directly at our spiritual warfare with the enemy. And the title is Overcoming Satan. So, those two words, Satan, Satan, just to bring our memory back, is a created personal spiritual being who has rebelled against the eternal God. And I'm going to read a few verses in Revelation 12, 7 to 9. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against and his angels, and the dragon fought and his angels. And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out onto the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, there's a lot of thoughts of how that happened, when that happened, and so on. Uh, Some actually think that happened later on because Satan was before God in the time of Job, and later on he was cast out, something that was originally in the original war when he sinned. And I'm not going to unpack that eschatology. Only to recognize and identify Satan. And as I stated in the early state, earlier message, Satan's attempt to dethrone God was met with a resounding failure. He absolutely failed. And his second course of action was to perpetuate his rebellion on earth. And we must remember that Satan, his original purpose, he wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be in that place that the eternal God is, and he wanted to be worshipped. And he's had a large number of success on earth. Most people follow Satan. Rather than God. That's because our own nature, because of the fall, our own natures align, align naturally with Satan. And because of, because he's the default ruler of this world, because of that, this default ruler of this world is Satan. So you have all peoples, you have all religions, you have all cultures, you have all nations. They're subjects of Satan. And they are part, and as such, they are part of rebellion against God. Except those who come to Jesus. Those who hear and believe and accept the Lord Jesus as their Messiah. And they acknowledge their own complicity with Satan. And these people repent. That means they, they recognize where they're at. They change their mind. And they, they change their gods in that sense. They change from Satan unto God. Uh, there's that deliverance and they repent and they, uh, and they change their ways. And they embrace the lordship 
of Jesus Christ. The kingship of Lord Jesus. And so, as a Christian, that's who, that's who Christians are. Those who are no longer subjects of Satan. Jesus is our king. He is the rightful king of this world. Not the resident king at this time, but he's the rightful king. But for now, the functioning ruler of this world is Satan. And you know what that means? That means that you and I and all the Christians, all the people who have have received and accepted and embraced the Lord Jesus as their Savior are now living in a territory that is ruled by a rebel, a rebel to God, a rebel to, to the Lord Jesus. And we're living in that territory. We live in this sense, we live as rebels in Satan's domain. Now, we are rebels, but we're rightful rebels. We are submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, but in Satan's domain, we are viewed as rebels. And Satan is an angry rebel, and I'm going to take another one that I'm not going to unpack eschatologically. In Revelation 12, 12, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knows he hath but a short time. So God's people are the devil's enemies, and the devil is the enemy of the people of God. That means the world that we live in is a battleground. We live in a battleground. There is enmity, there is hostility between God and Satan between the holy angels and the evil angels, and between godly men and evil men. There's hostility. They're between, um, I say godly men, I say godly people and evil, and, and evil people, because it affects everyone. And as we looked at the, the peace accord that they've been trying to get between Israel and Palestine, there's no peace accord coming in this war, in this where we live in, we live in as rebels in Satan's territory. There's no peace accord coming. Don't look for that one. So that is Satan. I said the uh, two words overcome Satan. We have discussed Satan a little bit. Now we're going to look a little bit at the word overcoming. That word overcoming is a Greek word. And it's found 28 times in the New Testament. And it's most of the time in John either in the Gospel of John or in 1 John or in Revelation, which is written by John. John was the one who spoke the most or wrote the most about overcoming. And, of course, it's found most prevalently there in Revelation, that he that overcometh. Now, there is another word. There's a root word to that, to that word overcometh. And I wonder if you recognize this word. You ever see that word? <laughs> Nike is actually how it's pronounced, I believe. It actually means victory. And that's the root word of overcoming. And you can actually turn to a verse. I would like you to turn to a verse in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 
and we actually have the, this. It's actually only found one time. That word Nike is only Greek word Nike is only found one time in the New Testament, and it's in this verse. First John chapter five verse four. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And that word victory there is the word Nike, and the word overcometh is used twice in this verse. Out of the 28 times in the New Testament, there's two times in this verse, is simply the, the verb form of the word victory. So um, overcoming means to have the victory. Overcome Satan means to have the victory, to be victorious over Satan. See, that rebel against God and that hater of all that is good and holy. Do you want to have victory over Satan? Do you want to overcome him? Have you overcome Satan? And will you continue to be victorious over Satan? You know, there's many many scriptures that talk about uh, we at the people of God, we have we have assurance. At the people of God, we are really, really blessed. We have assurance. We have these verses. We have who shall separate us from the love of God. We have these verses. I am persuaded that he who began a good work will continue it to the day of Christ. We have no man is able to pluck you out of the Father's hand. So we have security. In the Lord, in the in the Father, but it's not a slam dunk. I think that's a sports term, right? It's not a slam dunk. We are warned as God's people not to let the things we have heard slip. Paul was so disturbed about the Galatians when they were going off that he said, "I I am concerned lest I have labored in vain." And then we have those. Churches in Revelation where it says, he that overcometh will do this and get that and be gifted and so on and so on. And those that don't overcome, the implied is that they uh, actually will not have the victory. So the point is we have security, we have victory, but it is a conditional victory. As was said this morning, and as I have in my notes here, as Jesus very plainly said, he that endures unto the end shall be saved. To him that overcometh, I will give. So we have been saved, we've been adopted, we've been received the Holy Spirit. And we are being sanctified. Yet we are within reach of the enemy, especially as we live for God. Especially as we live for God. Now, this battle with the devil begins before you are a Christian. Remember the parable of the sower, where this, the seed was sowed and it went on different, different places. And what fell on the, the stony, the, the pathway, and uh, this is the interpretation that Jesus gave of uh, the seed that fell on the wayside. And I'll just read the verse in Luke eight twelve. This is... This by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil. Very specifically identified. Then cometh the devil. And he takes away the word that was sown in the heart. 
lest they should believe and be saved. You see the devil's work. He, before someone is even out of his kingdom, it's a, his own subject. He's still part of the devil's domain, but the word of God comes. The, the, the word from the other kingdom comes into this person's heart, but it's an unprepared heart. And so the devil has opportunity, and he takes every opportunity he has. That's what we want to talk about this morning some. He takes every opportunity he has, and if there's an opportunity, when the word gets sown, the word that gets sown this morning, whatever the word of God that gets sown, if the devil has opportunity, he'll take it out of your heart. Whether you are an unbeliever or whether you even maybe a believer, if he has opportunity, he will do that. In this case, it was someone who was not a believer, and the devil came because that heart was not ready, and he snatched it away, lest they should believe and be saved. The devil does not want people to be saved. He does not want the truth to sink into the hearts of people who are in his domain. He does not want them to hear and receive the fact that they are sinners. He does not want them to recognize that they're enemies of God or that judgment is coming. So if the word gets sown, he is there, and if it's opportunity, he will take it away. So the devil's our enemy before we even come to God. Now, after we've been delivered from him, do you think he lets us alone? Now we're out of his kingdom. Well, let me ask this question. I think you know the answer, but let's just ask this question. Did he let Jesus alone? Now, was Jesus a Christian? Was he... Well, that's debatable. <laughs> was he, we would say in, in was he right with God? Okay, he was right with God. Okay, did he have assurance of salvation? Okay, was he filled with the Spirit? Yes, he was. Did he have a prayer life? I think he did. Did he have communion with God? Yes, he did. Everything was right in Jesus' life. Did the devil let him alone? No. Why do you think the devil would let us alone? Even as Christians. And he doesn't. No, let's think of the temptation in the wilderness which the Lord Jesus faced. That horrific temptation. All alone for those days with the wild beast and no food. Satan comes along. Offers him some shortcuts, offers him an easier way as he's looking at his future. And I don't know what all went there, but he's, he, he offers that to him. Now, some might say, well, that was at the beginning. Uh, as the Christian life goes along, as you mature, as you mature, it gets easier. I have to put a raise of hand. How many of you believe that? <laughs> Each battle well, each victory will help you another to win, right? There's actually truth. There is actually some truth in that statement. There is. There is. Because the way that you go is easier. But does the devil, the battle with the devil get easier as, as you mature in your Christian life? And I want you to remind you that it was at the end of Jesus' life that he sweated those drops of blood. The temptation was the worst at the end. And as I have experienced 
and as I watched other people, it actually, I'm convinced that the devil gets harder on people, especially as they get older and have more responsibility and they have more impact and all that. All those things, whether in whatever sphere you are, the devil wants to stop you and he goes after you, us. It is often a youthful idealism that sees the battle as easy. The battle does not get easier. Overcoming Satan. We can overcome Satan. We can be victorious in the Lord Jesus. But don't expect it to be a walk in the park. It's actually called warfare. It's really called warfare. So now you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read uh, our main text for this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. I'll read it a little later. This passage is not in a vacuum. This passage is at the end of a letter to the Ephesians. And I wish we would have time to read the entire letter because it's so rich. But the first three, first part of that is about our position and our foundation. Excuse me. We have been chosen. We've been predestined. We've been redeemed. We've been adopted. We have obtained an inheritance. We have wisdom given to us. We have revelation given to us. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the, the chief cornerstone. That's all in the first part of this letter. Then the, the second part, the more practical part, is the outgrowth of that position and foundation. And where we're called to live a life that's worthy. We are in the church. We are to be lowly and forgiven, forgiving. We are to appropriate the gifts that we have for the edification of the body. We are to reject all common communion with wicked people, with sinners, but rather reprove them. And that simply means be holy and separate. And then we have the practical relationships of husbands, love your wives, wives submit and respect your husband. You have children, obey your parents. We have employees and employers. Have all that. And now we come to verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take upon you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And we're not going to read the 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 articles of the armor this time. If there will be another message, that's where we'll go next. So Paul says, finally, in this warfare, in this overcoming Satan, brother and sister, be strong. In a war, you must be strong, right? I'm thinking of our childhood game that we used to play. When we talk about a, a victory, overcoming, we talk about victory. We We used to have... If there was some kind of a mount of dirt on any kind of playground or any place where children gathered, 
it was common to play king on the mountain. I don't know if you've played that or not, but you get on top of it, and everybody else tries to push that one off, and you try to stay on it, and if someone else is on, you try to push him off and get on top. It's the king of the mountain. The stronger ones get to stay on top. So to be to be overcoming, to be the victory, you must be strong. However, God does not just say be strong, does he? He says to be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Now that's different than being the biggest or the roughest child on top of a mountain. It's very different. I'm going to read some very, very familiar verses in Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, I think probably, I think I remember Eldon preaching on these verses. Verse 28 to 31, chapter 40. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not nearly is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might he increases strength even the youth shall be faint shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall but they that wait upon the lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagles they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint so the point, the first point here as we're thinking of overcoming Satan is, is that our eyes and our trust needs to be on the Lord. It's the Lord who saved us. It's the one who got us out of the devil's kingdom. It was by his power. It's the Lord that will keep us. And it's the Lord that will give us the final victory. We need to recognize that. We have a place in it, but we have to recognize this. And you can turn uh, to Second Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll look at a few verses here where we actually see this played out a little more clearly. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. But we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our troubles which came to us in Asia, that we, and this is Paul, and I think he might be speaking personally, Maybe it was actually a group there. But we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Paul said we had this sentence of death in ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God that raises the dead. It was mentioned on Wednesday night when we were down at the, um, whatever you call that, the, the event that they had with brother with uh, the casket of Moses there and uh church family just gathered around and talked about him. It was mentioned that evening that Mose was a different man later in his life. He was gentler, um, gently a gentler 
uh, demeanor in his later years, which was the result of some excruciating experiences in his life. So, from his younger years to his later years, there was a kinder demeanor, let's say it that way, gentler, gentler. Paul here went through this horrible experience. I'm not sure, I, I, I don't know exactly what it was, but he said that the reason he went through it is so that he would not trust in himself or in those around him, but that he would trust in God, a, a powerful God, a supernatural God, a God who is not able to raise God, the dead, a God who raises the dead. And God came through. God delivered them by his power. He did it then, and he's continuing to do it now. And Paul is confident that God, that God will continue to deliver him. We as people like to trust things we can see. We tend to be moved by our emotions, and we put men on pedestals, especially strong men. We put them on pedestals, leaders and authors, preachers and teachers and, and, and those, those, I can say, I say men, it could be women too. <laughs> Generally it's men, but it, it's, it's, it, it's anyone. And, and those people that are very effective in one way or another become celebrities. Happens in the Christian world. What well, happens in the world all the time? You have celebrities. You have you have heroes, and it happens in the Christian world. I'm enamored by that man. They really have something going on over there. This program is really the thing, or this seminar, or this teacher, or this system, or that school, or that structure, whatever it is. Now, we are influenced, and we should be influenced by other people, and institutions, and structures, and teachers, and schools, and, and there's, that's, that's God's plan, that we, that we have that effect. Um, God has planned that we are nurtured by preachers and teachers, that organizations can magnify the numerical, the numbers of effect on the masses of the people. And so you have programs and you have seminars and you have schools. Structure is needed. It's not against that. But we should never put our trust in any of them. Because all of them, in some way, are going to fail. In some way, they're not, never fully balanced. And your expectations will not be met at some point. Every single one of them, unless you have an absolute cult leader, which the people that are following a cult leader do not see anything wrong. Every single one of them, whether it's people or organization, they have feet of clay. There's this friend that we have known for maybe 20 years, this Chinese friend. We never persuaded him to come to church here. But in more recent years, or more, just more recent in the last year, I guess, he's been coming back again and visiting our home. And I can tell he's somewhat enamored by our family, by our structure, by our home. 
you can somewhat tell that. And at the same time, he is pretty disgusted with some of the Anabaptist plain people he sees as he, he interacts regularly. He's the only Chinese person I know that knows what Joe Wangers are and Black Bumper Mennonites. He, he knows the system. And he's pretty disgusted at what he calls the hypocrisy and the inconsistencies and um, what he's perceived discrimination <laughs> of these people. But he's enamored by us. And I had tried to tell him that I will fail him. There are at some point you're going to see something in me that you are going to be disappointed in me. He should not trust me. At some time, at some point, I will disappoint him. In fact, I could introduce him to some people who could tell him my faults. And in fact, there's quite a few people who could tell him some, some pretty unglamorous things about me. And I am assuming that probably most, if not all of you, could do the same. The fact remains, though there are very godly people and there are very effective institutions, none of them are worthy of our explicit trust. Paul experienced that. And I'm going to read in, uh, in some of his experience here in Second Timothy. In Second Timothy 4, 7, 16 to 17, he's, he's just describing to Timothy. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Now, if Paul would have been trusting in men. Now, I don't look at this timeline, and I don't actually know. Maybe this is the same event <laughs> that he's talking about. I'm not sure. I didn't check that out. But all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. That's what we need. If we're going to overcome Satan in the war, this is what we need. It's not that we don't have the assistance of other people, but they will fail us. Other people will fail us. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me, and that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Actually, since I'm thinking that, I think maybe that was the same event of that experience in Corinth, but I'm not sure. So only in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, in the power of his might. He has all power. He has enough to cause us to overcome Satan, our common enemy. Because he's the one, the Lord Jesus is the one that overcame Satan. And no more can Satan get at him. He is out of Satan's reach. He's no longer in Satan's domain. And that is actually why, why one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why we can say greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, talking about Satan. Because the Lord Jesus had overcome Satan, and there's no question. So when Paul says, be strong in the Lord, 
and in the power of his might, that is absolutely essential. That is the orientation. He has strength. We are in him. Now, there's the children's story, and the idea is that the, you're, uh, this child, it's, 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 it's all pictures of it already. Um, a child's living in a house, and, and the devil comes knocking on the door. But Jesus is in with the child in the house, and rather than the child answer the door and talk to the devil, you send Jesus to the door. The door opens up, the devil sees Jesus, and he out he goes. That's being strong in the Lord in, in a visual way. <laughs> it's a physical picture. <clears throat> in the battle with Satan, it is the power of God that originally got us out of this devil's clutches. But as the verse says, as you have received the Lord Jesus, so walk ye in him. Be strong. Continue to be strong. Till the end, be strong in the Lord. We are weak when we trust in other things. We are weak when we are lukewarm, when we're worldly-minded, when we are self-seeking, when we are unforgiving, when we are self-pitying. Then we're not strong. That's when we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to the devil. A few more verses by Paul. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And there, and in 2 Timothy 2.1 Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But being strong is only the orientation. It's the first thing, like a company that says, in this company, it's safety first. Safety is number one. Now, what does that mean? How does that work out in the function of a business, safety being number one? Well, as a company, you have work to do. You have a service to provide. You have a profit to make. Hopefully, you can make a profit. So there's things to do in a company. But everything that we do is done in a safe way. We do work, but we do it safely. Safety has its influence on every action that is performed in this business. And that's what is meant by saying safety is number one. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We are told, now we're told the rules that will keep us safe in the war. The safety equipment is called armor. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to Stand against the wiles of the devil. So, being strong in the Lord is the orientation. Now there's something for us to do, but still within that context of being strong in the Lord. There's a sign. No, there was a notice. There was a, a paper at my place of work that was dedicated to safety and trying to get people persuaded to... Uh, to put their safety practices in practice. <laughs> and they said the goal is to get everybody home safely in the evening, every evening to their family. That's the goal. The goal is to get you home safely. Now, the goal is to run the business. The goal is to make a profit. The goal is to provide a service. But in that whole thing, the goal is to get you home safely. 
That equipment that we give you is meant to bring you home to your family at the end of the day. If you don't properly use the equipment, you will you can be maimed, you can be sidelined, or you can even be killed. And if we don't put your armor on, the devil has an opportunity and he can sideline us. So put on your armor. Now, when you work for a business, do you need to buy your own safety equipment? Do you need to buy your own goggles and hard hats and I don't know what for safety equipment you use? No, the business provides it, right? You know, in God's business, he provides it too. He provides the armor. What does he tell us to do it? He tells us to put it on. Put on the armor. It's God's armor. He provides it. It is made in heaven safety equipment. It's actually not made in China. Imagine that. And there are no shortages of this PPE, personal protective equipment. There's no shortages. God provides it. And there are no bad batches either. There's no defective gear. The armor does its job well. So, put on the armor of God. But I didn't quote that right, did I? You missed that. Put on the armor of God. What did I do wrong? The whole armor. If safety is first, if the goal is to get you home to your loved ones at the end of the day, that equipment, safety equipment needs to be comprehensive. The entire armor. Whenever I go to a new place of business, usually a warehouse, each, each place of business has its own culture. And, and you, they have safe, they have signs, but you don't necessarily go by the signs. Because they'll say, you're required to chalk your wheels, but there's no chalks there, you know, some places. And, and so one of the, one of the things you do, and then you go to a place regularly and you learn their culture. You learn what they require there and what they don't care about. And it's really interesting because at some places they require you to have safety shoes on. In the other place, they don't. Um, some places, they do not. You're not allowed to touch that dock door or that dock plate, and 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 grab that. You're not allowed to. At the next place, you're supposed to do it. I mean, it's your business, your your job to do it. You have to learn the culture. And so, some places you require to have a vest on. You can't go out without vest, and and all kinds of things. And and so this business. Absolutely must do this, but they don't care about that. Well, that there, at this business, you absolutely have to do that, but you don't care about that. It's, it's sometimes no rhyme or reason. Sometimes I think it's sometimes how, may I say that here, how, to, how churches function sometimes. <laughs> We're not always um, consistent, let's say it that way. So, God tells us, though, his is absolutely consistent. Put on the whole armor of God. <clears throat> the safety culture of God's business is comprehensive because unlike a workplace where an accident may happen, this is actually not, this is actually different. This kind of Safety equipment 
functions, well, it, it functions the same purpose, but it's a very different environment because you don't have just an accident that can happen. You have an enemy who is looking for opportunity. You have an opportunist enemy, one who is actually watching you and watching for weak areas. It's not like you just have a pallet fall on your toe and squash it because you didn't have steel toes on. It's actually someone who is actually on purpose tripping you up. That's the devil. That's what it means. You may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, what are the wiles? Well, doesn't sound very good, does it? There's actually only one other time where that word is found, and it's just a little earlier in Ephesians. So let's turn there. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 14. And I'm going to ask you where the same Greek word wiles here is translated in different words in these verses. And I want to see if you can pick them out. I'm going to read three verses here. Ephesians 4, 11 to 14. And I'm reading the context. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that ye henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. It's it's actually several words. Which ones? Which several words do you think is the wiles in these verses? Anybody have any idea? Yes. No, it's actually not that one. That is a very. It would seem like it. Nope. Nope. Which ones are left? Huh? Lying in wait. Lying in wait is the word wiles. So the idea is that the devil is lying in wait. That's what God tells us. That we, as we're in enemy territory and we're doing the Lord's business, why do we need armor? Because the devil is lying in wait. And in this case, uh, these, in this context, uh, there were people who were lying in wait to deceive, and they were they were to counteract that. In this, is to actually use the gifting that God gives to the church, so that the saints can be perfected, so that they are uh, protected from this devil's or these. Actually, in this case, it's men, but it's it's by the, it's by it's uh, under the devil's influence. <clears throat> So they could have a message on that as well. But there's the wiles of the devil. They lie in wait. These men take advantage of unsuspecting people and they trick them. They weave false doctrine in this context inside true doctrine to trick people. And, and they try to get something. They want something out of those people. And like I said, this, in this case, the church is gifted and charged to perfect the saint to avoid this kind of trickery. You know, I, I get these 
phone calls. I, whether it's the IRS or whether it's whatever it is, but let's just take the IRS. The IRS makes it plain. We will not contact you initially by email, by text, by your social media, whatever. We will not contact you that way. We will send you an official letter or maybe a visit, a knock on your door. It could be that way if it's, if you're a big fish. <laughs> so we need to know that so that we are properly instructed so that we're not tricked into giving our personal information because it's pretty scary when the IRS calls you and say, we're going to start garnishing your wages unless you do this and people get scared. But no, you must know. No, that's not them. That's trickery. They are lying in wait for people to deceive them. Well, that's what the devil does. He lies in wait. He tries to trick people. And if you have your armor on, you will be able to stand against this lying in wait of the devil. He will not be able to get at you. He will attempt to. He will attack like he did Jesus and all the apostles and all the Christians. But you will be able, you may be able to stand up against him. So the title is Overcoming Satan. You can overcome him if you have your armor on. So the idea is, and the idea put on the armor, the idea is to put it on and never take it off. That's that's exactly um, the, the tense, tense in Greek. Put it on and never take it off. It's a permanent part of your attire, your armor is. And going on here, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle, we fight, we are in a war, but we do not war against flesh and blood, against people. Our enemy is not primarily man. We must understand that. And that's why we shouldn't hate people. If you're going to hate people, hate, hate Satan and the force behind wicked people. If you remember the first message, we talked about the king of Tyre, the prince of Tyre. But the king of Tyre was Satan. He was the force behind this king. This king was a wicked, wicked king. But the force behind him was Satan. And that's where we get a very good illustration of who Satan is in that very context there. I think it's is that one in Ezekiel. I think so. <clears throat> People are just pawns. They are disposable pawns in the enemies, in the Satan's realm. Satan uses people. People give their allegiance to Satan or they don't get out of it either because they're trapped in it or else because they get something out of it. And so they are pawns. Satan has no love for his pawns. He only uses them for his hateful purposes. So he uses religious pawns. He uses likable pawns. He uses profane and wicked pawns. And the main power, however, comes from Satan. So what we actually have when we wrestle 
We wrestle, we wrestle against an enemy that we can't see. It's a spiritual enemy. He's not a physical enemy. But he has physical impact. In Luke chapter 22, i just read a few verses here. That's toward the end of Jesus' life, verses 3 and 4. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve, and he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him, Jesus, unto them. Here we see Jesus, uh, Satan, rather, the spiritual enemy, causing Judas to do something that had a very real physical consequences. When it, it, I, know, I know that this is a, was a pre-planned by God. I know that. And, and so this was all the plan of God. But what Judas did has an impact to this day. But it was Satan, the force behind him, that caused him to do it. Now, why was he doing it? Well, there was, a, there was a place in Judas's heart for money. And there's a few other ideas what it might be, but we'll, we'll just stick with money this morning that he was going to get something out of it. I don't know if he realized it was Satan doing it in him, but as uh, the apostles being able to look in the spiritual realm said it was Satan. It was Satan that did that. <clears throat> he went and did some very practical things. Judas went to an organization, a religious organization, and he made a business deal with them. Okay, what's the matter with a business deal? Well, nothing unless Satan is motivating you to do it. And Satan motivates business deals. Satan motivates a lot of things that goes on in this world. And Judas was lost to Satan. Soon died. Did Satan care? No, he was a pawn. Satan was successful in getting one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And Satan was busy. He is, did I tell you he's an opportunist? He looked for opportunity. He lies in wait. He wanted more. And you look just a few verses later, the same chapter, Luke 22. Maybe we should have looked at this, but anyhow, open it. But Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Sift you as wheat. What do you do when you sift wheat? You separate chaff from the grain. Who was the grain? Well, I think it was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was trying to separate. He separated Judas. He had done that. He was trying to um, separate Peter. He was trying. And uh, and some of the more modern translations, actually, uh, I didn't do any study, but they actually had the idea that Satan was trying to do this with all of his disciples, but then Jesus personally focused in on Simon, Peter. I'm not sure. I didn't study that up. But Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. It basically separate you from me. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou converted, strengthen thy brethren. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual force. There's an opportunist. There is an enemy who will, who is trying to separate us from the Lord Jesus. 
In this case, prayer. Prayer is what saved Peter. If Jesus would not have prayed for him, would Peter have failed? You know, he can take out all this possibility. We don't know, but just think prayer is an essential part. In fact, prayer is one of the armor. So we'll talk about that later. Our enemy, okay, so we wrestle not. So we, but we do wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now what is this? The ESV says against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, our enemies whom we cannot see are described to us here. There is an entire organized spiritual realm a world outside the power of science to discover. We would not know about these forces except by revelation. Maybe we would by experience have some idea. But by revelation, because these rulers, these principalities, these powers, these are Spiritual power. It's the demonic. It's the dark realm. It's the followers. It's Satan and his followers. There is order. There is structure. There is rank. There is position in this unseen kingdom. They have missions. They have goals. They have strategies. And they have ideals. They're all present in this organization. Like any organization, they have, they, they have a structure. They have order. They have ideals. They have purposes. They have goals. They do. And, and there's huge numbers of these spiritual beings in this dark enterprise. And I don't know, some of these speculations say, why did God make such vast, vast, vast sections? It's so many, I don't know how many, billions of light years away, they don't haven't discovered the end. Why did he make it so big and then put his little pinhead of an earth down here but he really expanded but someone said well that's where the that's where these spiritual realms are at that's where the demonic the power of the air they're up there somewhere right you know some speculation satan these these principalities and we wrestle satan is in charge of the pornographic industry He's in charge of the false religion. Satan operates seminaries and churches and schools, and he wears religious clothing. He operates governments and charities and political movements. And, and I don't know, I didn't, my list could go on and on and on. Satan is behind, not everything, but Satan is behind lots and lots and lots of things that get on, on this earth. And we are operating in a fallen body, so he works to get us to follow the lust of our flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The media brings the access of this stuff right to us today. That We heard a little bit about that this morning. And so the war, as we wrestle, as we fight against these principalities and powers, the war for us, in part, is that we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. The war is for us to have our affections 
attached to the things above and not the things on the earth and allurements and so on that are so prevalent and so close around us. And I had said this before, but Satan, we talk about principalities and power. Satan never lost any of his power that he was given when he was created. He was a powerful, angelic being. And as uh, my study, I think he was, he was right under God and, in, in, and, and maybe even in charge of the other archangels, not sure. But he never lost any of his power or his wisdom when he fell. He just changed the use of his power and wisdom that was given to him. And he changed its use, and he uses his mighty ability to influence and to rule, but in a dark way. So Paul repeats here, because that's true, we wrestle, we wrestle against these powers. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So we may be able to stand. We are able to stand. We have those great and precious promises that we are going to be able to stand. The Lord Jesus has won that victory for us. And even though there is this huge array of organized dark spiritual beings that are looking for all opportunity to to get to us, we have ministering angels that are watching over us. We have the Lord Jesus Christ who's won the victory and is absolutely guaranteed. There is no reason for us to fear. We should be afraid lest we fail in this area, but we do not need to fear the devil in, a, in, a, in, a, in that kind of uh, terror way. We do not need to. But we do need to take the word of God seriously that we are in his territory and he is looking for us. So we are told to put on God's armor. We are told so that we, that we, that we can achieve protection from the tricks of Satan. We are not to underestimate him as a foe. We are to recognize him and we're to recognize how he works as well as how he desires to work in us. And if we do that, at the end of the day, we will still be standing. At the end of the work day, we can go home safely to our family. At the end of our life, we can go home safely to the Lord because we put on the armor. Even when the evil day comes, when all comes crashing down. The fact is, when the battle is over, when the dust has settled, we can be standing, but not all may be standing. And at the question, didn't they have their armor on? Standing is the same word as resisting. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Stand. You've got to resist. You've got to stand. There's a battle. And you don't have to look for the devil. He'll come after you. He will come after you. If you're going to remain faithful, if you're going to remain standing, you've got to have your armor on. So then the next time, I suppose I'll probably be talking about the armor and the different pieces and how that all that works. So why don't we, if you can, can we kneel for prayer today?
is, Lord, there is a spiritual realm that we cannot see, and yet it is more real, more eternal than the physical world that we live in and interact with and are so attached to. Lord, I think of Elijah or Elisha when the army surrounded that city and his servant woke up that morning and saw the army. But Elisha saw the chariots and the horses of the Lord on the mountain surrounding them. They were protected. That is spiritual vision. That is spiritual trust. That is being strong in the Lord. And Lord, as we hear, in wherever our sphere is and whatever we're facing, whatever we're doing, Lord, help us to recognize the spiritual warfare for what it is, that it's real and it's and uh, we 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 can become lax and forgetful because it's not so much in our face. Maybe because we're not being persecuted. Maybe some other reasons. Maybe we're dull. So, Lord, I pray that this message here and this that you would use this word that was sown into each one of our hearts, that it would actually take root and have the proper effect that you want it to have. And, Lord, that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and be safe and effective, not sidelined in your kingdom, but, Lord, that we would be strong and that we could do exploits and that we would, yes, Lord, that the devil may not not only not kill us, but he may not also not maim us or sideline us so that we can continue to do your work. So we pray you would do that for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.